of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I am joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy. Good to be with you again, dear listeners, as we are gathered together over Zoom because we're still in the pandemic, so please bear with us as audio quality is... It did not disappear after the election like we were promised. So, uh, we're bringing you another installment of the Monster Mash, where we all pick a movie and make each other watch it. And I am Grizzly Abner, and I chose Mom and Dad. Professor Wagstaff, and I picked We Are Still Here. Vinny here. I picked Primal Rage. And Hatati, I picked Ready or Not. Okay. Uh, Vinny had pointed out that these are all movies made within the last five years, so nothing older than 2015, so uh, bring a new stuff for you. Um, we have saved Ready or Not for the end, because it is the newest and the most popular, and that way you can stop listening in case you don't want to hear any spoiler alerts. But we are going to begin with my pick, which is Mom and Dad. Hotty, details please. Mom and Dad, 2017, written and directed by Brian Taylor, starring Nicolas Cage, Selma Blair, and Lance Hendrickson. Well, this one is quite interesting. Um, I I probably would have never checked this out, but one of my buddies from college was an investor, uh, Rob Goff, uh, and he's actually in the movie. Wilson, did you spot him? I did not. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's one of the cops. No kidding. Yeah, so any movie that he invests in, he's a he's a venture capitalist entrepreneur out in uh, L.A. He recently owns the clothing brand Dope and just sold it, and then he recently just bought the most expensive baseball card ever. Um, so anyways, that's why I picked it up. I saw it someplace for a buck or two used on DVD, and I was like, I'll check this out, just because Rob was part of it. And uh, enjoyed it well enough and <laughs> thought... Um, Thought I would subject the rest of you to it. So, uh, any opening thoughts? How, how much did you say you paid a buck or two? Yeah. Way to support your friend, you tight ass. This was a first time viewing for me. It had been one that I'd wanted to watch just because enough people that I trusted seemed to enjoy it. Um, but at the same time, I'm always kind of cautious with Nick Cage movies because it's really a uh, Russian roulette with quality. Um, but yeah, this was a first time watch for me. I had a good time with it. First time watch for me, I uh, would not even on my radar. I typically avoid Nick Cage movies. <clears throat> um, I thoroughly enjoy raising Arizona. That's one of my favorite movies ever. So when I saw that Abner had subjected me to, two Nick Cage movies, two shows in a row. I wasn't real happy. 
but without giving anything away, it is Nick Cage at his batshit Nick Cageiest. <laughs> so he's just playing himself. Um, this was on my radar. I feel like all the Nick Cage movies that come out now, I I don't really know about them until they come out now. Um, so I hadn't really heard of it, and then I started seeing people watching this movie. And then I uh, checked the trailer out, and it actually looked good. So I've, I've been wanting to see it. Uh, but this is the first time watched, so I'm kind of glad that you picked it. Even though I had to rent it, but that's typical. I always have to rent at least one of your guys' movies. So <laughs> This was on the hey, I, You know what, though? I paid $4, so I supported <laughs> your friend more than you did. On, on my friend Rob's this was This was on Prime, wasn't it? No. Do you not have Prime, Todd? I do have Prime. It was on Hulu. Oh, it was on Hulu. Hulu. That's right. I don't have Hulu. I'm poor because I'm supporting friends. <laughs> I got news for you, Todd. You could have had a month of Hulu for that money you spent to rent that movie. <laughs> you got 600 Sprint Wrap Blu-ray sitting on the shelf. He ain't got Hulu. <laughs> I don't need Hulu. <laughs> to lay out the plot here. What, <laughs> what do you think? And then we'll get straight to just high spots. But um, the movie starts with this really strange cold open in which a mother parks her SUV on train tracks. You can hear a child screaming inside. And then she gets out of the SUV and lets a train hit it. Yeah, that sets the tone real quick. Yeah. And you're like, wow, that was unsettling to begin with. Um, And so you cut to the family, which is mom and dad is Nick Cage and Selma Blair. And um, they're just kind of like this, they're like, you know, they're hitting all the stereotypes for like kind of this like shitty suburban American family. Like mom is kind of detached and feels kind of unwanted, unneeded. Dad is the overstressed uh, provider. Um, Kids uh, entitled and kind of shitty. And they've got a housekeeper who's there, um, which shows that they're at some level of income. And... um, Basically, the plot, and then we'll just hit high spots, but the plot is something that we never find out is making parents lose their mind and kill their children. Like, insane bloodlust rage to kill their children. But only directed at their children. Their own children. No one else. Like, uh, you can walk by someone else's parents and you're perfectly fine. But your parents are trying to kill, which is kind of a terrifying concept. Right, your parents, the ones that you count on to, to protect you and take care of you, um, now whole scale across the country are trying to kill their children, and a bunch of wild stuff ensues. Um, what do you guys think? Any more to say about the plot itself besides just add little tidbits? Smacks a little bit of American Beauty, a little bit. Okay, yeah, I think. Right. We see a lot of flashbacks, and, and actually you learn more about the Trans Am later, but, you know, flashbacks of him doing donuts and naked chicks sitting on his lap, and then you find out that the son put a dead cat, or put a live cat in there, but it died, and he left it in there, and that caused him to freak out on his son. And uh, the movie does a really good job of, like, giving you all these moments leading up, because you know something weird's going to happen. And all these moments leading up to like him just about to freak out on the kid and then just messing with him and playing with him. And you're like, oh, is this it? 
Oh, no. Oh, uh, oh, oh, no. <laughs> so it's well done. Like for such a simple premise, um, it cranks the uh, it cranks the crazy up and just keeps it going. For you know, it's only it's it's under tight ninety. I mean, it's only like an eighty five minute movie, and uh, you've got about twenty minute setup, and then it's just balls to the wall for sixty minutes. Um, yeah. I thought the, that, oh, go, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say uh, I I really like at one point when it, it's it's kind of that classic element to these type of films where we have. Uh, some kind of attempt to explain it on um, the news. You frequently have that in movies like Dawn of the Dead. They're talking about savaging and how that occurs in some species of animals where just they don't know why. They just purge their litter, their their children. They kill them. And I thought that that really kind of strips this down to the the most basic of concepts. And I'm a sucker for anytime you can take something normal and make it chilling. And so what is more relatable than parents? I mean, unless you had a unfortunate start in life, you had parents that you knew and trusted every day. And so the, the idea of one day them just flipping the switch and wanting nothing more than to end you, uh, it, it's very creepy and it's also very easy to film. And I think that's why they're able to um, make an entertaining movie. And I think that one of the strongest elements, as already mentioned, is that they keep it short. They don't try and get cute or too elaborate with it. They just move swiftly. Um, it's, it is a tight, like, 85 minutes, I think. And I, I'm, I was really impressed that they didn't spend a bunch of time trying to over-explain it or take it in crazy directions uh, at the end past where it goes, because a lot of movies would have spoiled a good thing by doing all that. You would have had the surviving kids trying to band together and fight back against the parents or something like that, and this movie's like, no, nah, dog, we're just... Right. Um, I don't know, like, uh, it, it, there's a, it reminds me of a, a few movies, but... um kind of like the parents when they're they're in rage they're kind of almost like um i guess more like the modern zombies like the the zombies on crack it's 28 days um later. yeah 28 days um but but like the the not explaining stuff reminds me of like night of the living dead where they're really they, they give a couple explanations which pretty much by the news uh but no real explanation and um don't really take time to explain it and they don't need to um and then the uh, final conflict, the Omen Three, it made me think of that a lot. And then it was weird because it's kind of a it, like it's almost humorous, but then like the there's like a scene with the newborn baby, and I was like, do I need to turn this off? Because I don't, I don't think I can watch it if it goes further. Um, so there's some disturbing stuff in this movie that I wasn't expecting, and um, I think at some point too, I thought that maybe Dad went crazy, but Mom didn't. Um, I guess I just wasn't expecting a lot of it. And I will say that uh, it, it was kind of a smart movie because I started for thinking during the middle. So I, is this just for children or is this like for what if you're an adult <laughs> and your parent sees you and they answered that question too, like, like almost right after I thought it. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I thought it was, it was actually um, a lot better than I was expecting it to be, if I'm being honest. So good. 
Good. Um, so I'll just run down some of the high spots chronologically here. Um, so the first real kind of kill that we're aware of, but we don't see on screen, and it's kind of clever too. You don't see a lot of kills on screen. Um, and the one is that the housekeeper kills her kid that's there with her, and the son sees that, and he goes to hide. Um, and so we're wondering at that point, because we still don't know it's just a parent thing. We're like, oh, my God, is the housekeeper going to try to kill the son because the dad's at work? Um, I think – so then we cut to the school, and kids are being called down to the office one by one, like disrupting class. They're calling kids down because their parents are there to pick them up. And the kids are like, why is my parent here to pick me up? And then they look outside and like the school is surrounded by ravenous parents and the cops are trying to keep them back. And all of a sudden the parents just start climbing over the fence to chase their own children to kill them. And so it's, it's a, that's probably the most epic scene of the movie is these parents just like chasing their kids across a football field and just, smoking them when they catch up with them and beating the shit out of them. And you're like, what the hell is going on? Like, you're still trying to figure it out at that point. Um, well, Nick, Nick Cage's daughter in this movie is awful. And 30 minutes in, I am firmly on the side of the parents. Like I want, <laughs> I want to kill their child as well. Yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. rooting for them to kill their child. Uh, her boyfriend goes home and you see that the dad is an alcoholic and you think that he, you know, again, you're still trying to figure out what's going on. It seems like he's just drunk and passed out and he's drunk and abusive, but then he like smashes a bottle and slashes his son's arm open. And, and then he falls on the bottle, doesn't he? Yeah. He falls on the bottle and takes it to the neck. A lot of good gore effects in this movie. Um, and then, so she goes home with her friend, the daughter does. And, uh, she gets to see, like, she hears some noise and she goes upstairs and her friend's mother has just killed her, but she has no interest in killing the, the main character's daughter. And so this is how we're starting to put all these puzzle pieces together to figure it out. And then, as Todd said, the big, most shocking scene in the film is that the mom is at the hospital visiting her sister because her sister is about to have a baby. And she has the baby and everybody's oohing and on at the baby. And then the mother tries to kill her newborn baby. That scene was fucked up. Like it, like I, I'm desensitized to a lot of horror violence. And up until this point, even though it's parents killing their teenage kids, you're still not ready for it to go that direction. Yeah. That's still rather jarring. Yeah. Um, so then uh, we kind of get back. We, we keep getting flashbacks of why the parents, uh, Nick Cage and Selma Blair, are as kind of fucked up as they are besides being enraged to kill their children and the pressures they're dealing with of trying to live up to the American dream. And this is where you get some of the Nick Cage's best acting in the movie. He builds a pool table and he can't get the pool table to set up right. And his wife is upset with him. Like, why did you spend money on that pool table? And you get to watch Nick cage destroy a pool table while he goes the fuck off. <laughs> and it just kind of gives, again, it's, I think that's why the film is smart. As Todd said, like it just, it paints a picture of a family already falling apart. Uh, and people all, already succumbing to stress of life, but then craziness hits. Well, and they're showing you a midlife crisis as well. Yeah. Um, 
which then we get that flashback as both parents have gotten home. They've tried to kill the kids. The kids hide out in the basement. And Nick Cage delivers my favorite line where they're tra- banging on the door and trying to get in. And he goes, you motherfuckers! Pull open this motherfucking door! <laughs> the way he delivers that, motherfuckers! See, and that's, Nick Cage just needs to be able to be Nick Cage. And he they he is let free in this one. Yeah. And the whole time, throughout the whole movie, they keep saying, oh, your parents are coming. Your parents are coming later. Don't forget your parents are coming tonight. Everybody be home for dinner. Grandma and Grandpa are coming. And um, so in the meantime, they decide, because they can't get in the door, and the kid has his dad's gun, and he shoots his mom in the arm through the door. They decide they're going to gas out the children uh, by getting the gas line from the dishwasher and running it into the basement. So the girl is so smart, she decides to put matches on the door, rig them up so that when they open the door, those matches ignite, and boom. And she finds a way to crawl into another part of the house for that to happen. Explosion happens. Selma Blair gets blown up, which, not dead, just severely burned. Um, And then... uh, Wait, hang on. Checking my notes. <laughs> the boyfriend is there to help him. He comes in, helps him out, and then he gets a hanger through the cheek, which was a good scene. Woo! Again. Man, that scene is... You feel that hanger, boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And he gets knocked, H- he gets knocked over the H-A-W-T. <laughs> he gets knocked over the banister. You think he's done for. And That kid uh, gets his ass whooped. Oh yeah, so more than more than Ghostface in the Scream movies. <laughs> yes, he does. And so, Mom grabs the sawzall because it saws all. Um, <laughs> but then the grandparents arrive, and it slowly dawns on you. Like in that moment, you're like, the thing that Todd started thinking about halfway through. You're like, oh my god, the grandparents are there. If the theory plays out, they're going to try to kill Nick Cage because it's their son. And what do they do? They come in. The dad is the grandpa's Lance Henriksen, and he starts trying to fuck up Nick Cage. <laughs> <laughs> Which, when he when he shows up in there, I it was one of those moments where I was like, duh, because I remember seeing him in the credits and then not giving it a second thought that he's still this late in the movie hadn't shown up yet. Yeah. So then there's a good solid five, ten minutes of chaos of everyone just going nuts. Um and then the boyfriend comes to and rescues, and they tie the parents up in the basement. And there we go. Any other high spots you guys would like to mention? Uh, I I like that it uh, the way it ends, um, without tying everything up nicely and uh, over explaining things or. I, I like that it stayed true to what it had been, which was just slick, straightforward, entertaining with a very basic concept. Uh, so I was relieved at that because I, I kept waiting for him to just go ridiculous at the end. But I like the way it finished up. Um, it kind of had me from the start because I thought uh, it had a cool intro. It had like a 
kind of like a retro type song and it had like a like the 19 like 60s where the movie titles trademarked and um i don't know i thought it was a lot of cool stuff about it and i was gonna be a smart ass and look up the um i thought i could be funny and say that how old selma blair was like when raising arizona came out but there's there's actually i forget that uh all the teen movies from when we were kids, they were actually 30-something playing them. So uh, I think there's only like an eight-year difference between Selma Blair and Nicolas Cage. So hey. nothing yeah, there. Yeah, nice casting, too, with both of them. I thought they were they were both uh, perfect for those roles. I I enjoyed it. I didn't, I didn't think it was... It's nothing that's gonna stick with me i think for the rest of my life but as far as casual viewing goes i was entertained for the allotted amount of time and i'm not opposed to ever watching it again but it's probably not something i'm gonna run out and buy on blu-ray yeah yeah um i i'd recommend checking this one out it uh it scratches an itch um you won't be bored i promise you you won't be bored um and uh it feels, I mean, it feels like something that probably could have been made in the 80s, you know what I mean, just with kind of the storyline that it pushes. So, uh, not not super original, but at the same time, not run-of-the-mill either. So, uh, I recommend it. Yeah, I would recommend it. I, I think at this point, Bonkers Nick Cage movies is its own subgenre that has quite a few people that enjoy it. So, this can definitely fill right into that. Uh, I think this is his comeback because that seems like uh, the zanier the movie now. Um, I, I haven't seen the last couple that he's come out with either, but like uh, it just seems more crazier, uh, and it's got Nick Cage in it. The people people are liking it, so it might be the last time he used his actual hairline. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you motherfuckers enjoyed this. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's move on to Professor's movie. Alright, so We Are Still Here, 2015, written and directed by Ted Geoffigan, uh, starring Andrew Sinsenig, Barbara Crampton, Lisa Marie, and Larry Fessenden. Gotcha, so this was one that I solely picked this because it's uh, very winter driven and i was in the mood to rewatch it i watched this around when it came out and enjoyed it um it wasn't a movie that i i loved but i thought it had some uh notable things to it that i that warranted covering it on the episode i'm interested had anybody in this group watched this before nope it's been on my list forever forever because when it came out it got a lot of good reviews from people i trust and just never got around to it yeah, it's a it's another one. Um, uh, it came out. I didn't know what it was, but I seen people watching it, and um, I've kind of uh, bumped into Barbara Crampton several times since this movie came out, and I keep it, it's been on my list forever too. So first time watch. Awesome. I had I was not aware of it uh, when I saw it had Barbara Crampton in it. I was like, okay, um, and just generally speaking. I I thought it kind of felt more like a an eighties. I almost want to say a Stephen King movie in a way to me as I watched it. So, yeah, I enjoyed I, it. Yeah, I didn't know what I was getting into. I just knew that it kind of had heavy know. subject content, 
And uh, it's funny, Barbara Crampton shows up, and and I go to Carrie, and I said, that lady looks a lot like Barbara Crampton. (laughs) And then you realized it was John Denver. (laughs) (laughs) Carrie says, that's probably because it is Barbara Crampton. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I knew I I was in for something special, because Barbara Crampton just usually doesn't take crap roles. Um, No. And then when Larry Fessenden showed up, I knew the party was here. (laughs) Yes. Indie legend, Larry. Larry. Okay, so basically with this movie, it's it's very familiar territory in a, in a lot of different directions. It's set around the late 70s, I want to say 1979. Uh, we open the film with a married couple, uh, Anne and Paul, driving out to a rural home that they are moving into. It is clear from the outset that this is not going to be a happy film. Uh, also, for Barbara Crampton fans, it's it's an interesting role for her because it, there's not a bunch of camp to it. It's It really allows her the opportunity to put some uh, dramatic chops to use, which I think that she does uh, really effectively in this. Um, but we go on to learn at this rural house that they're moving out to uh, that it's basically in large part to be therapeutic for her because they have lost their son and she has really spiraled into a deeper depression than, you know, like what her husband's going through. And so he thinks it's going to be a good opportunity uh, to get them out in this setting. Uh, Pretty much immediately uh, there are weird occurrences going on in the home. She's hearing things and she is convinced that their son Bobby is there, that whether it be him or his, his spirit, uh, she feels that he's he's nearby, and we pretty quickly um, encounter the neighbor, Cat, uh, who warns them that they need to leave this house. Uh, we go on to learn that the house was built in the 1800s by the Dagmar family. It was intended as a funeral home, and this family was ran out of town for allegedly selling corpses that they were supposed to be burying and just burying empty caskets. Um, so we learn a lot quickly and just like the previous film we discussed, this is also a very quick moving, efficient film. It doesn't hit the 90 minute mark either. And they really don't spend a lot of time, um, going too deep with this stuff. Um, so initial thoughts with the basic premise where you guys all kind of feeling like, uh, we got just another haunted house movie. Yes, um, but I was there for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I'd say the same thing. Like, yeah, yes. But I was like, I'm not treated to a nice haunted house movie very often these days. So I yeah, am absolutely popping my popcorn for this one. Uh, I, I mean, I, I kind of picked up the haunted house thing, but I, I kind of wasn't sure what direction it was going since she kept, uh, uh, they kept talking about their, was it, was it her son that passed away? Is that uh-huh. Um, so if I'm being honest, <laughs> I wasn't expecting the damn fucking demon in the basement, uh, the first time it popped out and I was like, all right, well, um, I hear the, I hear the dryer going off and I'm going to let the, uh, I'll let the towel sit in there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so we'll go ahead. I was going to say one more thing. Well, you guys know me, um, when, that the neighbors came and they were just acting kind of weird. And they said, well, we do need fresh souls in this house. <laughs> of course, my brain's like, 
It's a cult movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, one of the things that stuck with me with this film from years back when I originally watched this was that, and I still feel this way after this rewatch. Um, and I think this might entice some people to want to watch it who have it. They don't do jump scares in the cheap traditional way, but it still has the best elements of a jump scare. But so what I mean by that is you will have figures pop up in the perfect framing behind people, but they won't like strike violin chords to make you jump out of your seat. It's just very effective the way they do this. And then when we get into what these spirits look like, they're pretty gnarly. Um, and so we, we get this general setup. We learn what's going on at the house to a certain degree. Uh, so Anne invites her friends up a, another couple, uh, played by, um, our two famous other faces in the film, uh, May and Jacob, and they are spiritualists and they basically come up to help with either the prospect of them believing that the spirit of their son is there or just what in the hell is going on in this house. Um, and they are the perfect addition to this movie because I think without them, you just have a really bleak, <laughs> somber film. And so by bringing them in, we get to ratchet it up a little bit without it being hard to believe because these aren't the people that have lost their son. Um, Although, yeah, without them, it's going to be the changeling. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so additionally, this couple's son and his girlfriend plan to come up. And so we get them up there and the, uh, the two couples go out to dinner while they're there. The, uh, sorry, I'm trying not to bog this down with a bunch of names. May and Jacob's kid, uh, I want to say Harry and his girlfriend arrive Ooh. to an, who had been friends and a roommate with the, the, with the deceased son. Well. Yes. And so they've got a note on the door that says, we went out to dinner, come join us. They decide not to. They're tired. They'd rather just hang out at the house, wait for them to get back. Uh, that proves to not be the best choice. Uh, we quickly have Harry get smoked on the steps down in the basement <laughs> in a particularly scary scene uh, with the way we go about that. Um, and his girlfriend flees. She is tracked down in her car. This one of these things pop up in the back seat and just rip her ass up, which I think is an, an interesting moment because the idea of her escaping the home and still not being safe, I, I think brings a, a different attitude to this film that people think they know what they're watching. And that kind of switches it up a little bit. It seemed to, to me, that's one of the only chinks in the armor of this film because it kind of breaks the formula. Like it's right. like playing by a very specific set of rules. We all know those rules. And then like for that to happen, it just, it fell out of place. It does. But I think it does. They do answer that a little bit with the motives um, that we'll later learn that bleed out into the town um, that they fear. Uh, so basically our, our main two couples leave, from dinner the waitress is killed at the restaurant that had been waiting on them and we have the neighbor arrive uh one of the neighbors that we saw earlier in the film and this is where basically we learn the the bigger reveal to it um that this house needs fed every 30 years and you realize that the town is in on this at that point 
Um, and again, this is just another example where they piece it together quite clearly for the viewer in a matter of 15 seconds. We don't spend 20 minutes at a library researching, you know, through old clippings and everything. And I, I just think that's refreshing. I don't know if it's because it's a it's an indie film and limited and they were forced to do that. But I think it works to its advantage. Uh, thoughts on that kind of twist there? You guys kind of see it coming that the town was in on it after the neighbors were already kind of hinting. Uh, I thought the neighbors were weird, and and there's the scene where they go into the the pub, and um, and everybody in there is weird too. But I don't think I was quite expecting um, where it went, so that was cool. Uh, the what you mentioned in the car was definitely sh- kind of shocking because again, if you follow the formula, t- you know, typically she would be safe, but. Uh, I don't know. I thought there were some some cool surprises. Um, so, I, I I was just going to say really quickly is um, I was expecting the town to know about it. I was not expecting them to quote unquote be in on it. You know what I'm saying? And so I thought they, I thought maybe the creepy neighbors were in on it, but I didn't expect the town to be in on it. Which I'm, I'm sure you're going to explain why the town is implicated in it. But yeah, I was like, Oh no, that's a neat twist when the twist comes. But yeah, I was like, oh, I'm sure the town knows it's a creepy old fucking house and you're not supposed to go there. But like, I didn't understand the, the, the magnitude with which they were in on it. Yeah. So basically after this turning point, the movie slingshots, it moves pretty quickly from here on out. They don't drag things out. Uh, the following day, uh, the women run into town together to get groceries and when they leave, uh, Jacob immediately says, we're doing a seance. There's no way my wife would do this. Uh, so we got to do this now while they're leaving. So they want to learn more this way. Uh, that turns out to be a poor choice. Uh, Larry Fesden's character, Jacob, is possessed. Grizz, really? it looks like you've got something to say. I forgot to mention because I couldn't remember what happened. Uh when they the night before when they get home from dinner and they're doing things and the the main couple walks in and like pheasants just chilling in that silk robe and then the wife comes in in a robe and i'm like whoa did this just turn into a swinger party (laughs) yeah it is Uh, the late 70s i referred to that guy in my notes as aldi brand jack nicholson (laughs) (laughs) he's he's a he's a really interesting guy he's more so as a director but he pops up like uh, he's friends with Ty West and some of this other stuff, but it's yeah. It, so it's, it's really um for for indie writers and directors, they really look up to him. So whenever he agrees, to, like he's very agreeable to like mentor them and be in their movies. And so like when he pops up in a movie, you're like Larry Fessenden being a good dude being in this movie. Yes, he's like a a horror John Cassavetes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so with our seance, uh, Jacob almost immediately becomes possessed uh, with a member of the Dagmar family. I think the name was Lassender. Um, and he goes on to explain while possessed that the family was not run out of town, uh, that they were sacrificed to this house. And so this family is basically there and they're very vengeful. And that's why we've seen what we've seen so far. Um, and while possessed, he becomes so enraged that in a very memorable moment, uh, stabs himself. I think it is it with a fire poker right through the eye. Um, yeah, it's pretty, 
pretty gruesome looking. Um, the I just like to call him Neighbor Dave, the the bad news guy. Um, he arrives and he kills Jacob's fleeing wife because the women had come home at this point as that culminated. Um, so he kills May out there, and then the town starts arriving. And at the same time, uh, we've got our original parents, Ann and Paul, hearing their son, Bobby, telling them to get basically the hell out of there. And so they flee upstairs to get their stuff together as townspeople are arriving to kill them. And basically, the, the town needs them sacrificed to this house because they reference that in the past, this had come out like a plague into the town. And so they basically have to control this at the home to keep their town safe. And so that's why you have so many people complicit with this and participating and trying to kill innocent people. It's uh, to protect the, the safety of their own and their, in their town. Um, and so from there, there's really nothing too unique to it. Uh, we basically have the spirits just, just ripping ass through these people. Um, and which eventually comes down to our main culprit, the neighbor and the couple and neighbor Dave is also smoked. Our spirits are not angry anymore. They feel satisfied by this. Um, we feel like we've uh, finally avenged what occurred to them after all of these years. And to be perfectly honest, the only thing I really don't like about the film is the very ending. I don't think it was needed. And, but basically what occurs is, um, our main couple that we started the film with are now the only two left again at the home like we started. And they basically, in a, in a daze, especially the wife, hears her son from the basement and she goes down there. And then we have her husband, Paul, head to the top of the steps. And then the last shot, he's basically saying hi to his son, which I just, that's my only complaint with it. It doesn't spoil the film because it doesn't hinge on that. And the film, uh, I think stands on its own two feet just as a winter horror movie with some good scares. But I will say that's, that's my only complaint with it because it's, it's really unsatisfying and you could have ended before that. You didn't need it. I will agree with that. I, I liked when the sun came back and, and he danced with Christina Ritchie at the Halloween party. <laughs> <laughs> I like when he helped that one couple make pottery. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so so what, I, what i'm gathering because i was piecing it together so basically the house is evil right yes okay and then that family because they got done like they got done was basically cursed to be stuck in that house right yep okay want to make sure i piece that together and i love the visuals on those ghosts yeah. it's the best part of the movie they're yeah. so badass looking Yes, that sets it apart from everything else in that genre. Um, yeah, I, I concur with you, Professor, in that um, this the, the son being there feels out of place. Because um, it's like, well, why is he there? He didn't die there. Um, yeah. Who knows? Maybe there's a portal and the dead can come and go as they please. I don't know. But yeah, I wasn't, as you said, I wasn't upset by it. It just felt like it broke the formula or broke the rules again. Yeah, it's uh, something that might draw people to this a little bit more that I kept thinking with this viewing is even though it's a completely different movie, 
setting, all kinds of things. It reminds me of the fog in the sense of mm-hmm. these are some angry ass ghosts and a group of them. And they are not in the traditional sense of being able to see through them. They're, it's, they're here because they come every so often and they are here to kick some ass. And the neighbor guy even looks like the priest from the fog. Yeah. <laughs> Hal Holbrook, I think he's still alive. It's like 130 at this point. Maybe it was him. I don't know. That lady that looked like Barbara Crampton was in this movie too. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. rec- would recommend. Yeah, for sure. I enjoyed it. And, w- and oh. we watched this on what, Prime? Yes, it is on Prime. Okay. This is one that I was going to be pissed because it's been on uh, lots of streaming things that I have. And uh, uh, for some reason, when we pick these movies, when I go to watch them, they pulled them. So if this wasn't <laughs> on there, I was going to be angry. I would say, if nothing else, even if you're not particularly into indie horror, ghost movies, if you like Barbara Crampton, you should watch this for her because it's, it's neat to see her get to have a serious kind of toned down role. Um, and I think she's really good in it. And if you don't like Barbara Crampton, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> yeah, that too. Go to hell. <laughs> okay. Well, let's roll on. Thank, thank you for recommending that one, Wilson. I'm glad it finally made me watch it. My pleasure. Glad you guys liked it. Uh, all right. So, uh, Professor's pick was a speed bump between the craziness that was my pick and now <laughs> on to... Venomous Vinny's pick. So, uh, Primal Rage, a.k.a. Legend of Conga, 2018, written and directed by Pat Maggi, um, starring Casey Gagli-Dory uh, and Andrew Joseph Montgomery. That's all I had. Okay. So, Primal Rage, I saw this movie in the theater. It was a very limited release, like I think one night. Uh, I went with friend of the show, Brian Blair, uh, owner and operator, Pumpkin Pulp at pumpkinpulp.com. Go check them out for great, scary Halloween masks and other products. Uh, And his brother, Dave. uh, Grizz, I think you were supposed to go with us that night, but we're not able to. Uh, Because we're all Bigfoot nerds. So... We'd heard about this, so we went and checked it out. Um, uh, Dave and Brian are the only two other people that I've ever known who have seen this movie. So I wanted to pick it just so I could converse about it with some other people. So that's why I chose the movie. Your list of people grew after this. <laughs> How about you guys? What's your experience? Never? Um, well, first off, I thought you were being a smartass when you said you saw it in the theater. No. <laughs> um, I, I, for some reason, I kept thinking of the like the video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess I had no idea what this was about, uh, which is sometimes uh, kind of the fun of uh, of watching some of these movies. So, um, again, I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, I thought because uh, I was like, "Oh shit, it's a Bigfoot movie," and then I was like, "Wait a minute." <laughs> It's not found footage. That's weird. Um, <laughs> then you realize Grizz didn't pick it. I did. <laughs> I um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. If I had to describe this movie, I would say it's like a 
Harry and the Hendersons 2, where he was raised on 80s movies like Rambo and Friday the 13th. But then he's <laughs> off, and he's using those movies to kill people. <laughs> yeah, this was... Uh, I had never even heard of this movie. Uh, this was completely off my radar. Um, but again, just like <laughs> with Exist, you guys are finding these movies I really enjoy. So I enjoy Bigfoot. I have since I was a little kid. I just never looked out for for the movies because in the past the ones i saw sucked Um, almost all of them are garbage i mean it's a rarity to find one that's decent yeah so i mean i won't go too far yet but i liked it there's some really cool stuff about this okay um yeah so i was supposed to go see this with boys and i didn't and i honestly completely (laughs) forgot about it until Vinny had us watch this and i was like oh that's that one um, and they had always told me it was kind of a Bigfoot movie with a twist, and it is. And I enjoyed it. Um, Benny and I hung out last night, and we didn't want to go too far into it then. But what I would like to say here from the top is that this is a film, I feel like, that does so many things right, but then does a few things really poorly. And I think that's what keeps it from being like, a really good movie to one of his an enjoy, just an enjoyable movie. I agree. I, I think it's what keeps it from being for me. It it's those things that you're alluding to that keep it from being uh, exists. Yes. But importantly, in the category of Bigfoot movies, the things you just described still makes it a top five all time. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So the basic um, print. I, I was going to say. Uh, I know from the beginning. I. I as it kept going, uh, I felt like they were using a lot of tropes that uh, it kept throwing it off. So, like, kind of like the uh, the wife was kind of like the the hero at the beginning as uh, she goes in to save her husband, which was kind of fucked up when Rock just blasted him in the head. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. There's some. I, I feel like they used some tropes though, like you said, uh, to their advantage because they uh, kind of threw some stuff on its head until uh, about to the Deliverance guys, and then. They kind of kind of lost me a little bit. So the the basic rundown is the movie opens. You're with this young couple. The wife has just picked up her husband from a short stint in prison, and they're on their way back. Their kid is at her mother's, I believe. Uh, it's them basically trying to get to know each other again on this ride. And you can tell there's tensions there because of why he's been locked up. Uh, they're in the Pacific Northwest. Is that, I'm correct in saying that. Yep. Uh, so they're headed back. And as they're driving, he cracks open a tall boy and she's not real happy about it. <laughs> cracks he's, like, up look, he's like, look, I just got out of jail. You know, let me have a beer. So they're driving down the road. And then all of a sudden, very, uh, I know what you did last summer. <laughs> they hit something and it's broad daylight. Oh, before, but it's not... they, before they got hit by something, he hit something because <laughs> he just got out of jail. <laughs> so they, and this thing that they hit, it's not like it was wandering down the street. What they hit really hits them. Like it, it's, it's, you clearly coming at you with a tra- trajectory like Uncle Phil just threw jazz out of the house. <laughs> So they get out of the car and go, and it's a mangled human being, like more so than what would have uh, injuries that would have occurred just now, laying there, uh, 
barely alive briefly so she's like we got to call the cops and he's like fuck that i just got out of prison you know i've been drinking he's like bitch i'm drunk yeah and she's like well whatever fuck you she calls anyway so as they're standing there she makes the call all of a sudden a stone comes flying through the air and cracks this motherfucker in the forehead the husband and sends him rolling down the side of a hill like wesley and the princess bride and down into the river and he's unconscious being drawn away in the river so she collects her thoughts and realizes what her options are and dives in after him uh so while she in the end saves him and pulls him up to the bank while that's going on uh whatever this thing is pushes their car off the side of the hill their suv So here she and her husband are out in the middle of nowhere, soaking wet and freezing cold. So they manage to make a fire. They're drying their clothes. They're trying to warm up until it's time to go. They start walking through the woods, and they come across these dickheads that you saw previously at the gas station who spotted him as a convict immediately and were giving him shit. Well, these are the guys they run back into in the woods, and they're dicks. They are dicks. They're not being helpful. They're being liars. They're being creepy towards his old lady. So they're supposedly leading them back to the Jeep so they can take them back to the road all the while being an enormous pain in the ass. But along the way, there is a creature, a Sasquatch-like creature, but with the, the difference of when you get a look at him, wearing like shin guards, and other homemade armor, including a mask made out of tree bark. And then things turn slasher. And this thing starts killing these assholes. <laughs> and some of the coolest practical effect kills. I will stop there and let you guys jump in with what you were thinking so far in the movie. Uh, the the rednecks were kind of, because they, they were major assholes. And then it's like, oh, they're not. And then it was like, oh, wait, they are. So was, the back and forth was, I don't, it kind of threw me off. Because um, I'm like, are they are they kind of leading them somewhere to fuck them up? Or, um, yeah, when they when they actually show uh, the Sasquatch, uh, my first thought was like some Predator uh, Rambo type stuff. Gives um, off very Predator vibes. So I don't know. I think uh, probably the guys might have added to it because again, you don't care that they're they're getting killed. The the ones that you care about are the husband and wife. Um, I'm not sure. Did you leave out that they have a son at home? So uh, I did say that the son was at the in laws. And, and I kind of uh, I kind of thought where the movie was beginning because it, it it kind of almost was like Sasquatch but wrong turn. Um, so I <laughs> thought the movie was going to be them alone in the wilderness. So. Um, I don't know. Every time I kind of thought where I knew where the movie was going, they switched it up. So um, I kind of like that about it. So, And I didn't bring up the sheriff that's on the case as well, who's a Native American guy who's kind of removed from the traditions and superstitions of Native American folklore, even though his own deputy, who's also Native American, is invoking this as, you know, this is going on. You know it is. And then there's the cashier at the convenience store who was a it was a mixture of the hitchhiker from Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Crazy Ralph from Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> anyway, so Professor or Grizz. 
where you at on this? Professor, please. Uh, typically, I try not to judge a book by its cover, but as movie nerds know, after enough years of, of walking around, you know, rental stores and buying DVDs and whatnot, you you kind of learn to base your your preconceived notions right off of what you see on front. So I'll be honest, when you picked this and I saw the cover for it and the name, I was like, this is going to be some cheap shit. But... <laughs> It starts off that way. And I mean, literally, you got like kind of the CD couple. He's getting out of jail. And I was like, oh man, this is this going to be like a lowbrow reach? But it's not. It changes uh, from the moment you described earlier when we, when we hit that dude. We immediately see there is going to be quality to this, just in the gore that they're putting into it. And from there, um, I mean, the kills, as you mentioned, are bad ass. I mean, like, it, it kept it kept startling me how good they were. I was like, when, how have I never heard of this movie alone based on the effects work for these kills? When that Bigfoot grabs that dude's jaws like King Kong and rips his cheeks open and rips his jaw open. But my favorite part about that is that doesn't kill the guy. <laughs> He's just got his jaw ripped off. Yeah. Like, and, and to me, like, cause most movies would have done that. And the guy would have, and then dropped him. He'd have been dead. No, he's still alive after <laughs> it did that to him. Yeah, yeah. I just think all the design and the decisions they make with it are the right decisions. Now, narrative wise, we'll get into it. I think there's some missteps with, with the storytelling, but the creatures themselves and the kills are badass. Have we talked about the mask? We, I briefly mentioned that the, the creature is wearing a, an armor and a mask made of tree bark. Okay, gotcha. I knew you'd said armor. I didn't want to go too far. Yeah. I think that is a wonderful decision. I think it makes it look really cool without revealing too much too early. It creates the, this kind of mystique to it. I didn't mention either that the creature is using weapons, like bow and arrow. And That's shit. the point I was going to make. So. Okay, go for it. I don't want to step on any more of yourself. Oh, that arrow shit. <laughs> so speaking of the gore to give the audience at home a frame of reference like he is killing people like victor crowley from the <laughs> like, well that one kill you described exactly is like victor crowley yeah like like he is just ripping people apart and it's it's done very well um yeah uh, things changed so when he's over talking to the, the asshole guys and his wife is hiding and the creature comes up and cuts off a piece of his wife's hair, I'm like, when Bigfoot start collecting hair, right? <laughs> so like, so that using a knife. Yeah, that was, yeah. So right. And using a knife. And so that I was like, what? And then, uh, and then he's using a bow and arrow and it's like, what? So like you start learning this may be more than your average Bigfoot. Um, the only other thing I'll say is we just talked about how awful the group of hunting guys were is that the lead guy who everyone's taken their, their orders from uh, tells them to keep that shit in your pants at least 10 times. Uh, yes. Now they're to act around the woman. And I'm like, okay, let's, let's get a new line. Let's, yeah, uh, let's, let's get a thesaurus. For let's get the thesaurus out. Yeah. The, uh, was he Brian Dennehy from, from Rambo? <laughs> <laughs> it's also like, it's like the screenwriter's way of telling himself we cannot have a rape scene in here. I want to, <laughs> but we can't. Right. Keep that uh, so at this point, uh, the husband throughout, because the hunters start shooting in every direction. 
when they start getting picked off by this thing, the husband takes some some what, buckshot or whatever in the shoulder, and he's out of commission. And so this Sasquatch creature takes the husband and the wife, and at this point, uh, our sheriff friend finally decides that he, he's going to be part of this ritual that's going down, and he's going to take a peyote trip. And they keep referring to this witch in the woods. And now, we, now real when he walks into the, the the Native Americans house to, to do the to get the peyote trip thing going, they are watching Howling Three on television. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. So, They're watching some of their old rituals, but it looked like the ritual video from the Howling Three. <laughs> which I enjoyed the peyote trip. I enjoyed the uh, the visuals that you got that he was having, the hallucinations. I thought all of that was really cool. Uh, you find out that, the, that they're alluding that this woman in the woods is somehow uh, the keeper or in communication with these Sasquatch creatures. Uh, and then uh, we're eventually going to get here anyway. I don't know if, it, if it's let loose now or not, but what you find out is eventually – they believe that their chiefs are reincarnated as these creatures. It's, it's part of their lore. So, What's the we name get, of the creature again? I cannot remember what they called it. Todd, what was the part of the working title? Well, that's why I'm like, how did you not pick it? Because it sounds like Congo. Um, Conga? Like Legend of Conga. Yeah, they're Conga. So... We we get to the to the and th- this is where this is where everything that's led up to here that I have enjoyed. This is where I feel like they start to make bad decisions in the in the filmmaking. Can I because uh, this is where I uh, I sent a message asking had people seen your movie because I was like, did Bigfoot just rape the wife? <laughs> uh, uh, I think he did. I think you did. Uh, so the woman is being, she's tied up face down in this layer where this, this Sasquatch creature is. And uh, there's nothing graphic about it whatsoever, but from the positioning of the Bigfoot and the look on her face, I'm pretty sure we had rapey Bigfoot. And that's why they call him Oma. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to. I had to. But while this is happening, this lady of the woods, this witch, is patching her husband back together and healing him. The design of this witch (laughs) does not fit in this film. She was like Pumpkinhead. It's like somebody went to the Tom Savini school and wanted to flex. And show what they were capable of doing. Don't get me wrong. It looks great. Yeah. It just doesn't fit with the aesthetic of this movie. It just it's in Jim Henson's Witches movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's ridiculously elongated fingers. These these costume teeth. A gigantic hook nose. It just it's a very very fantasy looking creature, and it just doesn't fit in the world that we've been in. And really that exists for the rest of the movie. It feels so out of place. And and it honestly takes me out of the movie. Yeah, so, to build on what Todd's saying, it, it really feels like somebody's basic 
pitch for this was let's use kind of the genesis of Pumpkinhead, but instead of Pumpkinhead, to have some Sasquatches kicking some ass because yeah. it, you're right, it does not fit into the film. You don't no. need it. it. People don't tune in for that. They don't. It's not. It doesn't need to be there. If you would have just had a, a just had an older actress with minimal makeup, I think it would have been fine. I think it's that that over the top look that just removes you from the movie that you've been invested in for so far. Well, when they remake this, maybe um, well, it's too late now. She's dead, but they could have used Gloria Stewart from Titanic. <laughs> so. The wife ends up, the girlfriend, wife, whatever, ends up escaping. Uh, does anybody else want to want to add anything here or, or anything of that nature? I don't, I don't want to just keep talking. That the only thing is that they, the husband, keeps teasing the wife throughout the beginning about how he learned how to make a shiv in prison. Yes, and she's like, "You're not serious." Da, 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 da. It's like an ongoing joke between them. And then, how does the wife escape? She makes a shiv and stabs, <laughs> and, and stabs Bigfoot. Stabs the conga. So she escapes, she gets out, and as she escapes, she realizes the husband is on his way to save her. They're reunited, but they're still being chased by this now injured Sasquatch creature. Uh, the, the sheriff shows up, the Native American sheriff, ready to whoop some ass. Uh, that does not go well for him. He is dealt with rather quickly, but I think uh, at what does help is don't they take his gun? <laughs> he gets killed off, and it's like, all right, well, let's take his pistol. So they keep injuring this this Bigfoot that just will not stop and keeps coming at him. Eventually, her husband is like, sees it's still coming and says, you got to go. You got to run. The road's up there. Don't look back. And of course, she's no, no, no. He's like, you have to go, go now. And he has to have a final stand against this this creature. And he ends up not only killing it, <laughs> but mashing its head in with a with a big ass rock, like a just busting its cranium like a watermelon. And then she's reached the road, and is, and then it goes back to him, and he's killed this thing. And you're ready for him to get up and go meet up with his wife. And then all of a sudden, he gets hit with an arrow. And then another arrow. And then you look and several of these things are stepping out of the tree line. Yeah, I was like, when he got hit with that arrow, I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And then it was the Harry and the Hendersons ending. (laughs) I thought more uh, Predator, but... (laughs) I predator think you're both right. Yeah. Well, Predator did it with more Predators. Well, I'm saying, but he's laying in the mud like Predator. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And then you add Harry and Henderson's. <laughs> yes. That's, I'll allow it. Yes. Which, this this movie was made because they did peyote, and uh, their their trip was Harry and the Henderson's and, uh, and Predator and Rambo. <laughs> so, now, so now that we've laid it all out, how do you guys feel about that second half of the movie and then overall? Um, I'll go first. I I think this movie suffers from only one thing, which we've already touched on. Um, you could have trimmed off about 20 minutes of this movie. Uh, it's Agreed. Both with the witch and dragging that out. 
and establishing that the hundreds are assholes. Um, if you take those two things out of this, you don't, it's an, I go from liking the movie to loving it. I like this movie a lot. Um, I think that anybody who likes Bigfoot movies has to watch it because it's such a limited offering of movies that are worthwhile. So, I mean, that's a must, but I don't even think you need to be into those to enjoy it. Um, I think the kills alone are going to, to be satisfying enough for horror fans. And lastly, I would really like to see a spinoff where we bring one of these guys, one of these creatures into society to be a thief. Like I would like to see him try and do like an oceans 11, because (laughs) if this thing can creep up behind her and not make a sound on branches or leaves and get some of her hair, think of what he could do in a safe. What can you do in Las Vegas? It's not safe. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, I'd never even heard of this movie. Completely took me by surprise when you picked it. And it was um, quite the experience because when I looked it up, the picture looked like mockbuster crap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it turned out to be really cool. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I agree with what Wilson just said. Um. I think even though it lost a little bit of stuff, I think it still had a strong ending. Um, also, yeah, if you like uh, Sasquatch movies, they're hard to find good ones. But um, I could see a lot of people that just like modern horror because it still has this like uh, kind of like action-packed uh, wrong turn. Uh, I, I definitely wasn't expecting the gore in this movie. Um, so I could see, uh, even if you don't like Bigfoot movies, that you, you might actually enjoy it. <laughs> I basically agree with everything that's been said. Um, it's a good movie. I would recommend it. Um, the the peyote sweat lodge trip gets a little silly. And, of course, the witch um, that was an extra from Dark, uh, a little overdone. But, yeah, no, it's good. And um, it finishes well, you know, with, with the, the big face off in the woods. So, um, yeah, again, yeah, just echoing what everybody else has already said. I will add one more thing that I wanted to touch on, and that's when you get to see the face of the Bigfoot. I liked that their design wasn't what I expected out of it. Uh, It had more of a mandrill baboon face than than a gorilla face like you typically see with Bigfoot designs. And so I do give them credit for taking it a different direction. Yeah, definitely. They could have just used the uh, the Sasquatch from the from the beef jerky commercials. They could. <laughs> yeah, kudos for picking those though. There, we have. There's not many times where anybody's picking movies where a bunch of us haven't never even heard of it. So, good job. Cool. You know what? Real quick, who remembers the Primal Rage video game? That, that's I do. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I remember you bringing it up. Uh, he kind of looks like the big ape creature on the Primal Rage video game. He, yeah, he's got that baboon look. Yeah. Maybe that's where they took it from. Okay. Well, Primal thanks. Rage. Primal Rage! <laughs> Round and third and heading home with Hot Toddy's pick. And it's the newest and uh, the most popular. So if you have not seen it, I would urge you to stop listening now, watch the movie, and then come back. Yeah, we're going to spoil the shit out of it. If you've listened this far, you know how we do. So, All right, so having said that, uh, so I chose Ready or Not, 
2019, uh, directed by Tyler Gillette and Matt Batanelli Open, um, who are both teaming up to do Scream 5. So that's kind of exciting. Um, starring Samara Weaving, uh, Adam Brody, Mark O'Brien, and Andy, Mc- and, uh, Andy McDowell. Um, so I saw this when it came out. Uh, if I'm going to be honest, I wanted to see the movie, but um, this and Knives Out were, were both being trailered. Both movies seemed similar a little bit, and um, and this one reminded me of Your Next, which, if I'm being honest, I've only ever watched once, and I was really disappointed in it. So um, I wanted to see this, but I, 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 but I didn't. So I saw it, really enjoyed it, and then I've never watched it since. So that's why I picked it because I've been wanting to rewatch this again. So that's why I chose it. Um, I just want to say right off the top that I fully agree with you that this and Knives Out got lost in each other's market. I, I would just constantly forget which one was which. Um, and then I will fist fight you because your next is far superior to this film. Um, Ew. <laughs> Uh, this is like this is my two and a half time viewing. Uh, I saw it once, really liked it. Um, got home and my wife was watching it with a friend and watched like half of it again and, and enjoyed it. And so this would be two and a half third time. And um, I don't want to start with a gripe, but it's it's a good movie. But the rewatchability feels like it goes down uh, with with the revisits. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go on. Uh, this was my second viewing. Uh, when this initially released, I kind of avoided it just because people were like insanely hyping it. Um, it was getting a lot of praise. And so typically when that happens with movies, if it wasn't something I was already really excited for, I'll kind of give it a chance to take a step back and, and breathe a little bit and then come to it. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. We'll go more into why I don't love it, but yeah, second viewing. So, uh, ready or not, or as I called it, uh, get out for white girls. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I had, I had seen the trailer for it and honestly, it didn't do a whole lot to make me rush to go watch it. And if I'm being a hundred percent honest, it's probably something I never would have watched if some, if he, Todd hadn't have picked it, which is fine. Then oh, he's not watching a new movie. Imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> takes me a while to warm up. Takes me a while to warm up uh, because I believe most new things are doo doo. This is not <laughs> doo doo, uh, but at the same time, I'm not wild for it. But I was entertained for the watch. But truth be told, I don't know that I'll ever watch it again. Good times. Um, so, uh, plot point. Um, so, Samara Weaving plays Grace. Um, Grace, uh, well, actually, we kind of start the movie 30-something years prior. Um, and so, we're in this, uh, this giant mansion, which is also the same mansion from Billy Madison, by the way. Um you see uh, a game of hide and seek, and but the, there's a guy running around, and he's trying to stay alive. And um, 
he runs into the two younger boys and um the one younger boy actually kind of outs him and it costs the guy his life and then we uh we fast uh, forwards 30 something years later and alex is the younger boy so he is getting ready to get married to grace um and then so uh alex is part of the the le doma domas empire um kind of like uh kind of like parker brothers where they own all these like board games and stuff so um that's how they started getting getting their money um he has kind of a big kooky family and she uh grace has never really had a family so she's really she is in love with alex doesn't care about the money and she's excited to be a part of a big family um Adam Brody is the brother, uh, Daniel. So he was the one that outed the the man at the beginning when they were children. And um, like his wife, uh, there's a lot of lines that kind of uh, you, you pick up on, like where the, the wife says she's not one of us. And he's like, well, of course not. She has a soul. Um, <laughs> so anyways, uh, they get married and it goes to their wedding night. And a part of the tradition for new members of the family is they have to play a game. Um, I did not write down and I should have, but, uh, but basically there's a, uh, they talk about how the, the great grandfather, uh, before he made any of his money, um, he ended up, um, I think he was like a seaman. Uh, I try not to laugh when I said that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, so anyways, he, uh, ends up more or less he sells his soul, um, and part of that is they uh, they have to play this game anytime a new family member comes, and so um, they basically will put a card in the game, and the game comes out. The spouses of the family, like the they're they're both turds. So the the one got old maid previously, and um, I forget what the other one had, but it was something just as stupid. And um, Grace ends up drawing out though hide and seek. Uh, and I think Alex knows what that means because, um, Grace would need to survive till dawn, um, from not being killed by the family and the family's, um, objective would be kill her before dawn. So, um, that's kind of where the movie picks up and then, um, hide and seek starts and then Grace finds out really fast after the, the daughter who, uh, also is doing a lot of drugs kills one of the maids in front of her and uh so grace finds out that this is uh, actually kind of like her needing to survive and what's really going on and it, and it goes from there uh when i first saw the help i thought it was the robert palmer girls <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they did look like that might as well face it you're addicted to love all right, I killed the I killed the dead air long enough. <laughs> Sorry, I just I'm caught in the gaze of looking at Vinny's hat he just put back on. <laughs> Wearing a giant cowboy hat, guys, like gal. novelty novelty giant. Um, anybody want to chime in at this point or? So I'm going to uh, say uh, my thoughts for at the end of the movie. So the, just another thing, the founder of the the board game empire was Mister LaBelle, and so they keep talking. <laughs> We gotta please Mr. LaBelle. And uh, uh you got crazy Aunt Helene, which we find <laughs> out that was her husband at the beginning that gets killed. So that's why she's crazy Aunt Helene, who is 
very scary. Um, uh, yeah, you know, Todd, Todd did a really good job laying all this out. I don't have a whole lot to add at this point, um, except I just love the set design. The house is gorgeous. It's really well done how they just make it look excessively wealthy, and it just looks really good. Um, yeah, so I, I think up to this point, too, um, after the, the maid gets it, uh, which, again, I, I really wasn't expecting the gore um, from this movie, so that kind of set the tone. Um, and, and, and there's kind of like an odd uh, sense of humor to, uh, to the kill. Um, this movie puts me in the mind of Clue quite a bit. Yeah, I don't know if it's just the setting and there, there's the dark comedy side of it, but it, it to me it gave off a very Clue vibe. Uh, there's definitely some, I think, some throwbacks to Clue. Um, so yeah, so uh, Grace ends up uh, kind of <laughs> uh, she runs into the the butler uh, in the kitchen because she's trying to get out of the house. And uh, she kind of does some damage to him, and she gets out, and she's trying to run away. Um, and then the family uh, is all working to, to kill her. her. Her husband, Alex, is actually trying to protect her. Um, so he is actually what assists her of getting out of the house. And then, uh, man, just, just more and more damage. She, she ends up going into a barn. And um, after one of the kids shoots her, and then she fucks him up. Uh, she falls down in like this pit because a goat hits her, uh, like all the like corpses and stuff. Which um, I will say I appreciate because I read later that um, she's got a hole in her hand at this point. That when she comes up and it's pretty cringeworthy because you know it's happening because you see a nail sticking up. And she's trying to climb the rickety ladder and she sticks her hand, uh, her wound through the nail. Uh, that was actually CGI, so props to them because that did not look CGI. Um, normally, you can tell all the cartoon stuff anymore. I love, uh, I love when she punched the shit out of that kid in the stable. Fuck yes, yeah. that was yes. How many how many kids have you fantasized about doing that to when you're at Walmart? <laughs> so uh, so not not only that, but she she gets out. Um, she gets on the road and. Uh, as she's driving down, she she gets the car away from the butler. Um, the uh, security system shuts the car down. Uh, the butler gets her, and it's kind of fun because the family's watching, uh, kind of like you would watch a movie, and they they see her rising up in the back seat, and they're l- telling the butler to look out behind you. But his his music's so loud he can't hear him. Yeah, so then she fucks him up. Uh, it, it's pretty cool because again, um, I don't think anybody expected anything from this girl. And I, I think a lot of it is dumb luck, but then, but then she also is kind of fucking some of them up too. And I also like just her, her, her monologues are fun. Just like her excessive <laughs> cussing to herself throughout the film. She's like, "What the fuck? What the fuck?" <laughs> she just, she just does. It, she, she plays the part very believable for 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 an unbelievable story. And and I think I, I did leave out too that. Um, the, the reason the family is doing this is because if they don't do it, they're under the belief that uh, basically they're, they're going to die because they, they didn't follow through. So, um, so yeah, they're all, they're all pretty, uh, pretty adamant about catching her and killing her. And so Daniel's kind of been uh, assisting a little bit too, and he seems like one of the nicer ones of the family. 
And it um, looks like Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he, uh, <laughs> you know, I think at this point they they all know that they're kind of effed if uh, if they don't if they don't do this. So then they're catching her, and then you find out there there's a, little, a lot more to it because then it goes full. Uh, Kind of like uh, it, it's weird because Adam Brody was also in Jennifer's body, so it's almost a repeat. But um, they're worshiping to Satan, and they're they're going to kill her for their sacrifice. Um, and then she ends up getting away again because again, dumb luck. And um, at this point, too, all the maids have died because of her. Um, and then we find out that uh, that sunlight is there, so daylight's come through. And then they're all kind of freaking out, and nothing happens. Um, so they find out that it was actually a um, uh, what they thought was going to happen didn't. But then you just wait a few minutes, and they actually start exploding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so even uh, it's kind of fucked up, but the the mom runs through with the two kids, and you just see three explosions. <laughs> um, and the house is burning down, and. Uh, she sees the what's the the name of the guy again? The ghost of Mister LaBelle. And so uh, basically, she gets out and um, of the house, and uh, and we kind of end the movie there. So let's also not forget that there at the end, um, the brother oh. Adam Brody is willing. He's like, our family sucks. So I uh, he just gave her like poison instead of killing her, and it was like like this, <laughs> and then. We find out her husband, who's been trying to help her all along, loses his spine and is, is going to try and help them kill her. I, I also left out a good detail, too, that Andy McDowell, who's pretty much known for all the romantic comedies that she's done for the last 30 years, he takes a, the, the box and just bashes her, her face in. And then they actually show it, which I was shocked. Um, I don't know, maybe, because I don't, I don't think Andy McDowell normally plays this kind of part. At all, um, it might almost be kind of her way of being like, "Yeah, I, I kind of want like a, a gory." Uh, I definitely wasn't expecting that either. So, yeah, it's like well, let's outside be honest. of sex lies and videotapes, <laughs> she's always been in bubbly romantic comedies. So it was it was a lot of fun to see her in this, and I think it was a in- uh, really fun part is at, with the ending. Obviously, uh, in general, is is the most unique and fun part about this movie. But I really love the period of time when the sun's hitting them almost like vampires <laughs> and they're just like the look of, uh, well, was this all horse shit? We're fine. <laughs> and then obviously the way that they, they kill them and it, with the explosions are really cool, but I really enjoyed too that, um, our husband to be is excited because he's okay. They're together. She made it and he seems to be okay until she takes the ring off and throws it at him. And he explodes. And I thought that was uh, a real crowd pleaser. I think that Andy McDowell, and this is this is just speaking to how Hollywood is, I think that Andy McDowell probably isn't getting that many offers these days. Sure. But it's still fun but, to see her in the different role. And, and that's what I'm saying. I'm glad that she took it. I'm glad that she did it. But where we were speaking about how it's kind of a surprise to see it because she played in these kind of movies. She's aged out of those roles now. We know how Hollywood sure. is once a woman reaches a certain age. 
So she's probably not getting a lot of offers, but I'm glad that she chose something that was completely outside of what she would normally do. And I hope yeah. that pays dividends for her down the road. You uh, obviously haven't seen Dashing in December. <laughs> you're you're absolutely right, Tony. And what's funny is is that she has aged very well. Oh yeah. Yes, yeah, she's great for her age. Uh also I personally wish they wouldn't have done the exploding thing. <laughs> I wish it would have ended up that they realized nothing's happened and they've just done all this shit for how long I'll be honest, they've been doing it. The exploding thing is what saved it for me. <laughs> really? Personally. I, yeah, because... I wish I wish they wouldn't have done it. Well, let's let's get into our overall thoughts for the film, and I'll say in response to that, with me, the rest of the film is derivative. I've seen that movie ten times over in in different scenarios and approaches and end results. But what made it unique was two things: the supernatural ending and Samara weaving. She, I cannot state enough how she makes this movie. Without her performance, I don't even know unless. You know, obviously for the podcast, but the first time I may not even have finished it. It was so familiar territory that I she's what makes it so much fun. I mean, she is next level performance in terms of she's not above anything, but she still keeps it grounded. Like she is absolutely what you want in that role, which is just completely unhinged. I mean, she has just went nuts by what has been thrown in her lap. And I think she is enough to reinvent a movie we've seen over and over again, because the, the wealth gap and how the first class, you know, the upstairs treats the downstairs, it's been done to death, but she, she makes it different. I think along with the bonkers ending, I would have liked to have seen them not do the supernatural ending. You take it to where they're like, Oh shit, wait a minute. We've been scared of this curse for all these years and done these awful things. And it was all bullshit. Then I would have liked to have seen a revenge ending where she goes through the rest of them and kills them off from what she's just been put through. To me, my personal taste, I would have found that more satisfying. I spit on your mansion. Yes. (laughs) And honestly, yes. But the problem with that, Vinny, is let's say there's no supernatural ending and they all just kill her. Well, because they're rich, they won't get caught. But if she kills all them, she poor, she going straight to jail. Well, here we are, put bringing reality into I, this uh, movie <laughs> again. Like, kind of, kind of what I to go back to what I said at the beginning is that, uh, and and to touch on what Wilson just said is it, the formula is almost done to death at this point. Um, but this movie's fun, and I think the ending, the ending to me. Is, like I left the theater pleased. I don't know how I would have felt if they, uh, cause it's almost kind of like, well, shit, nothing happened. But then when, the when the, the supernatural ending, I think added to it, um, which side note, this and knives out are completely different. Yeah. Um, knives out is also a good movie, but, um, but again, I think it had it, had it not had the supernatural thing. I think I would be like, and this and knives out are almost exactly alike. Um, but with the supernatural ending, I think it adds to it. So um, I like it. Um, for some reason, I keep thinking every time I see this girl that it's the um, it's, it's Margot Robbie. Oh, um, yeah. I mix up Margot Robbie and Samara Weaving all the time. But uh, yeah, until like the movie ended, and I was like, 
because I'm like, who is this girl? And then I'm like, yeah, it's not her. So um, I don't know. I thought she played the part really well. Um, I seen that they threw around a bunch of names when they were like looking at making this movie. I I don't know that too many people could have. Again, I think it would have been the wrong person. She carried the movie, and 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 I like a lot of the characters. My the, the aunt is is kind of one of my favorites, but uh, yeah, I I like the movie. I thought it was fun. Vinny over here making faces like we are dumb for thinking that Margot Robbie and Samara <laughs> Weaving look the same. Uh, I don't. I don't see it. You go tell me. These two women. <laughs> I can't see your bleached out <laughs> picture. You tell me them two women don't look the same. No. They look similar, <laughs> I guess, but I'm not getting them confused. Um, I guess interestingly I enough, I think that this and Knives Out would be a fun double feature because they go in many different directions. But also comparing those two, I think it's important to point out with this movie, a big difference is the cast overall in Knives Out is great. You are individually invested in those people they're interesting and that's what i think makes weaving stand out so much in this film is outside of a couple don't care about any of them they're not interesting and i don't mean narratively i mean even performances they're just they're there uh any mcdowell's great and a few of the like you know uh adrian brody the brother he's entertaining they're fine but I think that's why her Adam Brody. Performance, oh, oh wait, I, I was yeah. gonna say, <laughs> yeah, sorry, MFers for pointing out when I say shit wrong. Adam Brody. Um, <laughs> so we just corrected him. Yep, got it. So the interesting thing, though, with that is that they are so underwhelming. That's why her performance is so important because she carries it. You yeah. know. After you said that, I, I did picture Adam Brody from SNL where he wore the Jamaican dreadlocks and had the poor accent to introduce Sean Paul. So that could have been a fun <laughs> uh, fun version of this movie. Was that Adam Brody or Adrian Brody? Oh, Adrian Brody. Sorry. Yeah. Son of a bitch. I just got corrected <laughs> for mixing them up. You just got. They look exactly the same. Oh, Lord. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with Professor on that for sure. Listen, I think this is a serviceable film. I think you should absolutely check it out. Uh, well, uh, hopefully people aren't listening if they haven't seen it. But yeah, if you are if you cheated and listened to all these spoilers, I think you should watch it. It's fun. Um, but it's probably realistically a, a one-time watch is all you need. I'll agree with you on that. Rent it, I think our feelings it. too show our age. Because if you're 16 years old, this probably blows your mind. Oh, you yeah. haven't seen oh, yeah. a lot of the stuff that it's tapping into over and over again yet. And it's and it's to say like I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it, but if if Carrie wanted to watch it next year, I'd watch it. Like it's not like it's like oh god that again. No, it's like I said it's perfectly serviceable, but um, just not genius. Agree for shizzle. Okay, well, fun little fun little mash. Enjoyed watching all of these. Glad you guys didn't make me watch any crap this time around. Uh, oh, we didn't make you watch crap. All right. <laughs> Buddy boy. I like that guy. It looks like Godzilla's come out like uh like he's like one of your like your your good conscience or bad conscience. <laughs> I got a I got a Godzilla on my shoulder. Um yeah. So uh thank you all at home for listening. This has been another episode of the Monster Mash. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I've been joined by Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. Hi Toddy. Days. <laughs> <laughs>
Harry. Uh, 